John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And he said this. He went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Well, let us pray for God's blessing upon his word preached. Our Father, please bless us now as we hear and listen and know who Christ is, who we are, and how we can best serve him even as we listen. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, one of the major themes that I think is being brought out for us today is uh, the theme of listening. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 27, you can read the story of how uh, we have the, uh, not only the high priest, but Pontius Pilate, as he is uh, the most well-known, even though at the time he was not really altogether uh, too significant. He was in uh, Palestine, and he was actually not a very good leader, and had uh, not a whole lot of good that was said about him. He was basically incompetent. In many respects, and this shows him to be uh, largely incompetent. But you'll remember his wife, his wife, uh, those wondrous and gracious gifts that God gives to uh, some of us. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you where uh, you should have listened to your wife, uh, but you did not. Uh, well, remember his wife said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I have suffered in my sleep because of him in a dream. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. And so you can see this plays a little bit on Pontius Pilate as this 
whole trial, this sham of a trial, uh, takes place. And you wonder, uh, as he's trying to answer and question and so on, you wonder how much of his wife saying have nothing to do with this righteous man plays into how he conducts himself. Now, as we see, the nature of false religion is uh, clearly illuminated for us in verse 28. You'll see something quite remarkable. Namely, that people can be exceedingly religious, they can be fervent, they can be scrupulous, they can be those who are constantly concerned about keeping various laws with the utmost rigor and yet be decidedly evil and wicked. So, here's an example. They led Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, the only one who has ever been righteous in this world, the only one who ever will be righteous in this world. They led Him, they arrested Him from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters in its early morning. Now, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. Now, you mustn't miss the point I'm trying to make here. They are not entering into a Gentile territory, a place where Gentiles, because they don't want to become ceremonially unclean. So here you have some individuals who have been part of the arrest of Jesus Christ. They have brought Him to be crucified, but they don't want to walk into a certain space in order to become unclean. This is what we call madness, insanity. A lot of cults and a lot of other religions will have very scrupulous laws about dietary things and other uh, such. uh, And you will see that they also then have uh, laws that seem to be blasphemous. And this is no different here. They don't want to enter the governor's house because they want to be able to eat the Passover. They don't want to be saved by the Passover lamb but they do want to be able to eat the Passover and they want to remain clean and pure and undefiled during the Passover, which means that at this point in time, Jerusalem is in a spiritual frenzy of sorts. It's a time of nationalistic fervor and pride and so a lot is going on in Jerusalem. It's not a dead city by any stretch of the imagination, but it is as alive as it ever would be during that time. Now, what we find in the next uh, section is something I think quite remarkable. John uh, is not writing a systematic theology, so he doesn't write, Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king, and then give little verses in brackets to show that. But what you find in the next uh, section is actually the threefold office of Jesus Christ highlighted without actually saying the words, but it's clearly there. Jesus, who is on trial, is a prophet, priest, and king. So notice Christ the priest in verse 29. Pilate went outside to them. Pontius Pilate. What accusation do you bring against this man? Now Pilate knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Matthew tells us that. John gives us far more details than any of the other writers, but in some cases, the other writers give us details not found in John. So, he knows it's out of envy. 
And then he formally begins the trial by asking the question, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, the expectation of the Jews right now is for Pilate to merely confirm their judgment. To say, ah, I see you've made a judgment. Now we will sentence him to death by crucifixion. But Pilate seems to offer a fresh hearing. And this would have agitated the Jews. And Pilate really didn't have any time for the Jews, but on the one hand, not only does he not have time for them, he knows he has to somewhat keep them in order because that was his role as the governor. So, Pilate is dealing with them, and you'll see how they answer. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So because this man is going around doing evil, we are doing you the great service of bringing an evildoer to you so that you may deal with him. Remember, wicked people don't often admit that what they're doing is wicked. You have to remember this. Everyone justifies their actions. Everybody has a spin on how they're doing things, why they're doing things, and usually leads to a form of self-justification. So you can imagine these people here. They're remaining spiritually clean by being pure, not entering into Gentile courts and becoming ceremonially defiled. Then after that, when Jesus is brought on to trial, they are saying, we are only bringing to you a man who is doing evil. We are looking out for law and order in society. Which should tell you a lot of things about human nature. Most people will always admit that they are doing great things. And so, they said, we would not have brought him here if he was not doing evil. So Pilate says to them, and I think now he's having a little bit of fun with them, by the way, in which he irritates them. Why don't you take him yourselves then and judge him by your own law? Now, they want Jesus killed, and the Sanhedrin could decree death, but they had no power of execution and they certainly did not have the power to crucify. That was a Roman prerogative, not a Jewish one. So how do we get this man, Jesus, killed? Not by breaking Jewish law. Pilate doesn't really care. But by being a threat to Rome. That is what they have to establish at this trial. So, notice what happens? He says, judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. What type of death are they seeking? They are seeking from a Roman governor a crucifixion because only the Romans have the power to do that. And that is brought out in verse 32. This was to fulfill the word Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death. Not merely that there is a death, but what kind of death he was going to die. Now, what did Jesus said earlier on in John's Gospel? Well, that verse that you always see on television, John 3, verse 14. And John 3, 14 tells us something very interesting. As Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What death will demonstrate in the most public way the lifting up of someone? It is the crucifixion. 
Later on in John's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus says in verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. And then John gives us a commentary on that in verse 33. He said this to show what kind of death He was going to die. So when you go to John chapter 18, and the Jews say it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, they are seeking crucifixion by the Romans. And they have to somehow convince Pilate to do this to Jesus. So Jesus must die in our place. That is the Gospel. We know that. But that is Jesus as priest. That is His role as priest. A priest is one who offers a sacrifice. But we also see then Jesus as King immediately after that. In verse 33-37a, to 37a, Pilate enters his headquarters again and calls Jesus and said to him, Are you the King of the Jews? Now a simple yes or no answer would not suffice. A lot of times you have to try and figure out what does someone mean by their question? Is this a form of entrapment? I uh, was in a presbytery meeting this week and a uh, long one, painful one, long one, painful one. And to open the meeting, uh, Gary Vanderveen, a nefarious character down the road in Langley, uh, said, uh, Mark, would you open by doing the devotion and prayer? I didn't know I was supposed to do that. But, you know, what Gary meant for evil, God meant for good. Because I was right in the midst of sermon preparation at that point, And it was at this point. And I says, oh yes, absolutely. And I talked about the nature of truth. And that is the nature of our committee, seeking to establish truth in certain instances. And I brought up this issue about how Jesus couldn't simply have said yes or no. So are you the king of the Jews? If he says yes, what if Pilate is asking him that question based upon the understanding that the Jews had informed him that he was a certain type of king? So the Jews go to Pilate and say, this man is claiming to be a king. He wants to overthrow Caesar. He wants to be trouble to Rome. He's going to have servants who will fight for him. He's claiming to be a king. So Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? If Jesus says yes, what is he doing? He's reinforcing a false allegation. If he says no, he's also denying something that could possibly be true if Pilate is asking simply because he wants to know more about who this person is. So notice whenever Jesus is found in a situation where people are trying to entrap Him, trick Him, or whatever, He always comes out on top. Jesus answered this, Do you say this of your own accord? Are you interested in who I am? Or did others say it to you about me? Because that will dictate the type of answer I offer. Pilate answers, am I a Jew? Am I supposed to know these things? Listen, your own people, notice what he says, your own nation and the chief priests, the religious leaders, have actually brought you to me. Pilate is saying in a certain sense, I'm minding my own business, I'm going about my daily lives. Your own people have brought you to me to stand trial. So what? Does Jesus say in response? 
Well, Pilate asks him, naturally, what is it that you must have done then for them to bring you to me? It's not as though you just pick up someone in the street and take them to Pontius Pilate and say, would you deal with this person? No, they have brought him for a very specific reason, and Pilate wants to know why. This gives our Lord a chance to answer the question on his own terms. My kingdom, yes, I am a king. I am a priest, but I'm also a king. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting like every other kingdom in this world. Like Alexander the Great. Like anyone else, Rome. You don't build kingdoms through passive resistance. You don't go around on ships like uh, with fleets and saying, oh, do you mind us taking your kingdom? Uh, it would be really nice if we could avoid a bit of bloodshed. Why don't we take your kingdom? And the other country says, yeah, you know what? Why don't you take our country? So you see, there is an issue here where Jesus is seeking to establish he is a king, but he's not a king. He is a king on his terms. He's not a king on their terms. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. If I were a king, on the terms that they are seeking to establish, we would have been in a battle right now. But my kingdom is not from the world. My kingdom is an eternal kingdom. My kingdom is one that cannot be conquered My kingdom is a kingdom over the hearts and minds of men and women, and it is a kingdom that you can do nothing to thwart in a manner of speaking. So what does Pilate say? So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Many had said he was a king. When Jesus fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6, He understands that people wanted to take him by force and make him their king. So he withdrew to a solitary place. Here, Pilate is acknowledging that Jesus is claiming to be a king. And it's as though Pilate now sort of has grounds, because he's not interested in really getting at the truth. He has grounds upon which he can kill him. Now, Jesus is not only a king, he's not only a priest, but he's a prophet. Notice in verse 37b, For this purpose I was born, to be a king. And for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He is a priest, he is a king, and here he is a prophet. Pilate could listen to his wife. Pilate could listen to the Jews. And Pilate has a chance to listen to Jesus Christ. He has a conversation with the Lord of glory. He has an opportunity to listen to Jesus. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And how does Pilate respond? What is truth? And it's an interesting question, and I think the question's interesting because there's a sense in which Pilate should have really asked, if he wanted to get to the truth, who is truth? Jesus had said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus is the truth standing right before him. 
And Pilate is saying, what is truth? And Jesus is saying, I am speaking to you the truth. The truth is not just abstract things that we talk about. It is based upon a person. That person is Jesus who speaks the truth. And Pilate is asking a question, and the answer is right there. It's such a tragic thing that Pilate should have this opportunity to have court with the Lord, literally speaking, and yet reject the truth. So after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. We can be quite sure that he is not saying this in the sense that we would understand this as Christians. He is saying this in a sort of judicial sense. There is no grounds upon which we should be putting this man to death. Now, if Pilate had actually stopped there and says, I'm not putting this man to death, he may have come out of this with a bit of integrity. But you see, you have those verses right after. But you have a custom. I find no guilt in this man. My hands are clean of the blood of this man. But you do have a custom, and I'm going to honor that custom. And that custom dictates that I should release one man for you at the Passover. This is a deal the Jewish people would get at Passover. Someone would be released. Now, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And he's just digging in against them. He's having a little bit of fun and provoking them. You have to see that here. There's no love lost between these two groups. They're merely using each other. And so he says, oh, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? This would infuriate them even more. They cried out again, not this man. They won't even say his name. But Barabbas. Now, maybe Barabbas is someone who was unjustly tried and has been put in jail and he should really be released because it was false evidence and false witnesses were used and he's really a good guy. But John doesn't allow us to come to that conclusion, does he? Now, Barabbas was a robber. Matthew tells us that he was a murderer. He led an insurrection. He was someone who was notorious for being evil. And it's quite remarkable what takes place here. Not this man, but Barabbas. I uh, went to Colorado last week and uh, spoke at a family conference at a church, and it's about an hour and a half outside of Denver, and, and a little bit northwest of Denver is a place called uh, Boulder. A uh, really nice place, actually. And they have this place called Denver University, and there's a new football coach at Denver University. This is college football. It happens on Sunday. I'm not talking about NFL, so no judging me. This is Saturday football. Okay. No Sabbath breaking by, well, unless you're a Seventh-day Adventist, but we're not. And uh, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, most of you probably have no idea who he is, but some of you young guys, look at AJ, he's just smiling. I know Coach Prime. I'm going to get his glasses. Probably ordered them already. Yeah, I know your type. Coach Prime, they went 1-11 last year, so Coach Prime comes in and now it's all fanfare, it's glory, and they're successful. And they were playing yesterday, last night, Colorado State University, interstate rivalry. Always a blood fest. And um, Denver were supposed to win. Denver University were supposed to, uh, sorry, Colorado University was supposed to win the Buffaloes very easily. And before the game, they have the percentage chance of winning. So these two teams go and they say, oh, 86% chance 
Colorado University wins. And then the game starts. And what you have in the game are these percentages. So if uh, Colorado University gets out to a 20-point lead, for example, the percentage will go up for Vegas. It'll be 90%. Uh, 92% or if it starts to shift and something interesting happened yesterday is Colorado State University actually got to a point where their percentage chance of winning was 99.4% so basically Vegas had said it's done 99.4% 0.6% chance that Colorado University were going to win. Now, I kept my, uh, my uh, phone on because I wanted to see how this was going to end. And I just sort of thought, no, come on now. Something could happen. It's 0.6% chance, but let's just see what happens. And uh, lo and behold, the 0.6 happened. It's quite remarkable. And then someone told me after I mentioned this earlier, it happened to the BC Lions yesterday. I don't follow those guys, but... I I believe this man. He doesn't seem like the type to lie to me on a Sunday morning about this. And you kind of have this sort of, it's a foregone conclusion. And yet, the foregone conclusion doesn't take place. And you have Barabbas in his jail cell. And I've actually been to the jail cells that were used at the time in Jerusalem. And maybe Barabbas was in one of these jail cells. There was only several. He's in the jail cell. And you can think Barabbas knows his fate is sealed. He's going to be crucified. He's done. And there is someone who could be released because it's the law of Passover. It's certainly not going to be Barabbas. And Barabbas is in the jail cell. And you know, it must be interesting for him. All of a sudden he starts hearing his name. Barabbas, Barabbas. But he also hears, crucify him, crucify him. And I... I wonder if Barabbas wasn't thinking, wow, they're very excited about my death. Barabbas, Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. And he's probably thinking, well, you know. And you, you see the one who went about doing good, healing people, feeding people, ministering to the outcasts of society. You have him on the one hand. And you have Barabbas on the other hand who was leading an insurrection, who was notorious, who was a robber, who took, who killed, who murdered. And you have a 99.4% chance that you're going to choose Jesus. It's not a difficult choice. And yet, Barabbas. Barabbas is the one that marches out of that jail cell triumphantly. He is the only person who has ever lived who was literally the one whom Jesus was a substitute for. Barabbas. And you see, that really is the essence of the Gospel. Except in the Gospel, spiritually concerned, You have, in the light of Barabbas, you have all of these wicked Jewish people calling for Barabbas. Barabbas, Barabbas. It makes no sense. But when it comes to the Gospel, you have Jesus who could walk free or you could have insert your name right now. Insert all of your crimes right now alongside your name. And instead of the wicked Jews calling out for Barabbas, you actually have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit chanting out your name instead of the Son's name. 
Who should be let free? Jesus, the Son of God. Or are you sitting here right now? And instead of a wicked crowd calling for you to be released, it is actually the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the heavenly places calling out your name to walk out of that jail cell for all of your crimes released in the most shocking, shocking overturn of events that makes 99.4 look like a joke. In fact, in the case of you and I, the game was over even before it started. But then along comes the Gospel. And Barabbas, who is each and every one of us, is set free by the Son of God, who is our prophet, our priest, and our King, and rules our hearts and the hearts of millions all over the world to this very day, because His kingdom is not from this world. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word and for the Gospel. We thank You for Barabbas even. You allowed a wicked man to do his thing in this world and though he meant it for evil, You would mean it for good. For You would bring Christ to the cross and Christ would go to the cross and we would be released. And so we pray that we will understand this and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen.